Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. So we're going to begin here in uh, Colossians chapter number one. And uh, I encourage you that uh, for you to be spending some time through the book of Colossians, uh, reading it yourself, uh, studying what, uh, what Colossians uh, has to say. And just want to give you just a couple things here about this letter overall that I would hope would come across as, uh, as we're looking at uh, uh, Colossians. Uh, first of all, Paul wrote this letter to be read and understood by the common man, meaning its message uh, that, that Paul writes here um, the truth and the helpful instruction is something that's still applicable for us today. Um, it's not just some antiquated antidotes, you know, in a, in a dusty book. These are truths for us today that still have impact upon us, and uh, they're for us, they're for you uh, to read. Uh, many of the people that uh, Paul wrote uh, to uh, there in uh, Colossae, they were individuals that could not read, but yet they had this letter read to them, and they were still transformed by the truths that, uh, that Paul had said. And I believe the Holy Spirit can teach you and I the important truths that are in this book as well as we apply them to our life. Secondly, what you believe about God will affect the way that you live your life. This is so true. Your theology, what you believe about God, will affect your philosophy, how you live your life, okay? And so the truths that are contained here in the book of Colossians, how they are revealed to us and how we believe in them should have an impact of how we will live our life and how we should transform our life according to uh, the message that are in there. Um, in fact, one of the things that we'll see in this letter of, of how Paul brings these believers back to the teachings of who God is, uh, what, who Jesus is, what he's done in saving them, the purpose of all that is to help them in how they live their life. Because one of these things that you were going to see here in the book of Colossians is that these cultural pressures... Uh, pressures to go back to the law, pressures to conform to what the culture wanted them to be. Uh, all these pressures are things that we ourselves face as well still today. And we have to remember who God is. We have to see Jesus clearly in the midst of all of the, uh, the smoke and fog that uh, seems to uh, permeate our society today. And so there's some very practical stuff in this book. And I think sometimes when we talk about doctrine or theology, who God is, who Jesus is, a lot of times we kind of just tune that out because we want to get to the practical stuff, right? Like we want to be told, well, how do I love my wife? How do I love my neighbor? But really, in order for us to understand how to do that, we have to have a firm grasp on theology, who Jesus is. Remember, what you believe about God, your theology, will affect your philosophy how you live out your life. And uh, Paul wanted these believers to know uh, that uh, what we believe about Jesus Christ is not irrelevant to life. Rather, it's absolutely crucial 
It affects our morals. Um, Colossians 3, 5 through 9 uh, talks about that. It affects our relationships in the church, in our homes. It affects our jobs. It affects those that are, are in the world. Uh, Colossians 3, 12, uh, all the way through 4, 6 deals with that. Uh, false teaching never leads to true godliness, as one of the things that Paul will talk about here also in Colossians 2, 23. Thirdly, it's important that you have an accurate view of who Jesus is so that you can see him clearly in the midst of the allurement such as material gain, career advancement, pride, sexual temptation, just being comfortable, and even all the false teachings that will try to draw us away from believing in Jesus and serving Jesus. Uh, one of the things that you will see in this letter is the emphasis on who Christ is. And I believe that if we can get an accurate view of who Christ is, uh, it will enable us to walk confidently in this wicked and perverse generation, uh, knowing whom we have believed and uh, have been assured of. In this letter, the supremacy and the all-sufficiency of Christ is talked about more than in any other letter that Paul had written. And uh, you'll, you'll definitely see that, how much he talks about who Jesus is, and he talks about how Christ rules and how he reigns, and, and that our eyes need to be focused on Jesus Christ and him only. So I'd encourage you to read and study this book on your own um, this week, even as we're going through it. And um, I think if you do that, it'll help you get more out of the teaching um, because you'll be a little bit more familiar with some of the things that we're going to be talking about. And the uh, other thing that I would encourage you to do is try to share the teachings that you are gaining from the Word of God and share that with other people because isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be disciple makers. We're supposed to not just soaking everything in, right? You know what happens when you soak everything in? You sit and you sour, Okay. What we need to be doing is we need to be giving it out, being disciple makers. And so we need to be sharing what God is speaking to us about and giving that uh, to other people as well. And so ask God for the opportunity, and I'm sure the Holy Spirit will lead you to individuals that need to be blessed uh, by what God has been speaking to you about. And so this morning, we're going to just look at the very first two verses which is Paul's greeting here to this church. And so let's take a look here at the text is what he says here. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now take note of the phrase there, in Christ, in Christ. Paul's first few words as he addresses this church is to establish the importance and the remembrance of being in Christ. Remember, here's this church. It's facing a lot of pressures from the world to conform to those pressures. And Paul wants to bring them back to remember, listen, you're in Christ. And I believe these first uh, uh, couple opening uh, statements here that he has here is to remind them of that. And if we're going to see Jesus clearly, we need to remember the purpose of being in Christ. And uh, so the first thing is remember that you are in Christ. Now notice what Paul says here. First of all, number one, 
In Christ, God enlists people to serve, not volunteer. God enlists people to serve, not volunteer. Listen to what Paul writes here in verse number one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. The word apostle means sent one. And is used in two ways, in fact, in the, uh, in the New Testament. Sometimes it refers to a messenger who was sent out uh, by the church for a special task. We find that in 2 Corinthians 8.23, Philippians uh, chapter 2, verse 25, and also Romans 16, verse number 7. But it is mainly used of the twelve... Uh, plus Paul, probably James, the Lord's brother, and, and even perhaps uh, even Barnabas. Uh, we find that 1 Corinthians 9, uh, verses 5 through 6. Also 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 7, Acts chapter 14, 4, and also verse 14, and Galatians 1, 19. These men, these apostles, had seen the resurrected Lord Jesus. They didn't see him in a dream. They saw him physically with their eyes. And that is one of the requirements if you're to be an apostle is you are to see the resurrected Lord Jesus. Uh, we see that in Acts chapter 1 verse 21 through 22 and also 1 Corinthians 9 1. They had unique authority to perform miracles as what uh, 2 Corinthians 12 12 says and they were directly appointed by Christ, not the church, by Jesus himself saying, you are going to be an apostle. Uh, we see that Mark chapter 3, verse 14, and also Acts chapter 9, uh, 15, and Galatians 1, 1. And the Lord was the one, Christ was the one who gave them authority uh, to uh, found the New Testament church. That's Ephesians 2, 20, 1 Thessalonians 2, 6, and also 1 Corinthians 12, 28 through 29. Now, as such, the office of apostle has passed away. Okay? We don't have any more living apostles like Paul. Why? Why don't we need apostles today? Because we have the complete written revelation and the teachings of the apostles in the Word of God. So we're not getting any new teachings. We're not hearing any new words from the Lord, right? We have everything that God has already given us, and we have the authority of the apostles' teaching contained for us here. When John died, uh, the apostle John died on the island of Patmos, that was the end of the apostleship. Now, we may still have apostles in the sense of somebody who is sent out that could be like somebody like a missionary or somebody who is like a church planter, right? But we don't necessarily give them the title of apostle, right? We may say, hey, we're going to have these missionaries come, or we got this guy going out, he's going to go plant a church, right? But the office of apostle has ended. It has passed away. Um, Paul was not an apostle because he took a spiritual gifts test. It wasn't because he, he decided and was sitting in a church service someday, and he goes, you know, I think, I think I'm just going to be an apostle today. No. Notice what the scripture says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by what? By the will of God. God was the one that appointed Paul to be an apostle. 
God had sovereignly laid his hand on Paul to save him and to use this formerly zealous Jew that persecuted Christians to now preach his word and proclaim the good news of Christ. Uh, Although there are no true apostles today, if you know Jesus Christ, then Jesus has enlisted you into service by the will of God. The Holy Spirit sovereignly distributes various spiritual gifts to all whom he saves. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 11. The point is that serving him is not optional for believers. All of us have been called into service to serve the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And it's by the will of God. And so it's not that God is just looking for a few good men, you know. It's not like he's hoping and waiting and saying, Oh man, I just really hope so-and-so will get involved. No, he's already called you to be involved. And so God has us to be involved. And it's, it's not a volunteer position, but it's rather mandatory. Secondly, if we're going to remember that we are in Christ, if you are in Christ, you are part of the family. Note the family terms here that Paul uses here. Notice Timothy is not named as an apostle. Why? Because Timothy did not see the resurrected Lord Jesus. But notice what Paul calls him. He calls him what? Brother. Our brother. My brother. Right? There's a family term there. He says, my brother. He is our brother. Paul refers to the church as brethren. And God is our common father. And so if you know Jesus as your savior, then you are my brother, you are my sister in Christ, and we are all part of the family of God if you know Jesus. Now, if you don't know Jesus, uh, the Bible's very clear. It says that Satan is your father because you listen to him, you follow him. Uh, He is the father of lies and you uh, follow that. But in order for you to come into the family of God, You have to repent of sin and believe in Jesus. And when you do that, then you are brought into that family, that common bond now that we have where God is our Father, and you have now brothers and sisters in the Lord. And that's what Paul says here about Timothy. He says that he is our brother. God becomes your father through the new birth. When he gives you new life and you believe in the Lord Jesus, you share this new life in Christ common with all who have been born again. Uh, At uh, Omer's uh, funeral uh, there on Thursday, uh, I talked about being born again. Uh, You will not see heaven. You will not see sins forgiven. You will not uh, have peace with God unless you are born again. And coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so when you become born again, when you come into that relationship with Jesus Christ, you begin a relationship with God as your heavenly father and with all of your brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, it's always wonderful when you meet a fellow believer in the Lord. Has that ever happened to you? You might be uh, traveling somewhere or you might be at a restaurant somewhere and you might see an individual maybe talking about the Lord or you might see them bowing their head and praying in Jesus' name and you know immediately that is another believer in Christ and I can have a common unity with them 
because they are my brother or my sister in the Lord. All over uh, the world today, there are brothers and sisters in Christ that are meeting together. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, we have fellowship with them because of what Christ has done for us. And so there's this instant bond that happens uh, when we join the family of God. And you know, you only join a family only by birth, adoption, or marriage, right? I mean, that's the only way that you become part of the family. Um, there's, there's no uh, family crashers, you know, you're, you're trying to like jump into the family, right? It doesn't work out that way. And there's only one way that we come in uh, to the family of God, and that is through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And so I would encourage you, if you don't know Jesus, if you have not been born into his family, then you need to repent of sin and believe in Jesus, believe the gospel that Christ took your penalty on the cross, uh, that he bore the wrath of God on your behalf so that you could have peace with God, and he took all of your sins so that you could be forgiven. Now, notice how Paul really helps us understand how we are different from the world here. And he uses this word here, and he calls us saints. So not only are we brothers, but look what he also says. He says, to the saints, to the saints. Now, there is a Roman Catholic teaching that teaches that uh, you only become a saint after you die, and you have to do all kinds of special things, and people pray to these saints. But God calls these believers at this church, he already calls them saints, and they're already living. He says, you are saints, and that's what we are in the Lord. If you know Jesus as, as your Savior, you're a saint. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you ain't, okay? So either you're a saint or you ain't, all right? But uh, that's the only way that you can become a saint is by knowing Christ. Uh, some versions translate uh, that word. You might have it in your uh, translation as the word holy, which is, again, just the same meaning as saints. And if you know Christ, then you are that saint. Um, the Bible teaches that all those who are in Christ are already saints. You don't have to die to become a saint. And it means that we are set apart from the world. Uh, that's what the word holy simply means, that we are set apart. Uh, it's just like this. Um, if we were to go over to your house, uh, you wouldn't ever expect me to uh, get my uh, shoe and put it under the coffee uh, maker and make coffee in my shoe, would you? No, because I have a shoe has been set apart for a certain purpose, and just the same as much as a coffee pot has been set apart for a certain purpose. Uh, and so we use it that way. And we as believers have been set apart for Jesus. We are saints. We are his holy ones, and we've been set apart for him. Uh, we are a people for his possession is what First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse number 9 teaches us. Now, after greeting the saints, look, Paul then says this. He says, brothers, he says, to the saints, and then notice this, and faithful brothers. Now, this is an interesting phrase here because this is the only place in Paul's greetings in his letter that he uses this phrase. What does he mean by this? A faithful brother. Uh, is, he, is every believer a faithful believer? No. They're not. Why? Because 
there are people, there have been times in my life as well where I have not been true to the teachings of Jesus Christ, where I have chose to maybe uh, swerve off into some other direction as not being what God's Word says. I'm not being faithful to His Word, to His teachings. And I believe that here at this church, there were believers, as from what we know, that were not being true to the teachings of what the gospel really was or what the gospel said that we should be doing. And then there were some believers that were the faithful believers that were faithful to the Word of God. I pray that all of us would be faithful to the teachings of the Word of God. And I'll tell you, you know, as our world continues to digress and it continues on this collision course uh, that it's in, uh, things are going to get harder. And we have to be determined that we are going to be faithful to the teachings of the Word of God and not give in to the cultural pressures of this world. And so we need to be faithful you know, the enemy continually stirs up false teaching to try to deceive the saints. That's what it says in Ephesians 4.14. 4, it says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. And that's why you need to be doctrinally grounded in the Word. You need to know what the Word of God says. How does that happen? You have to spend time in the Word. You have to know your Bible. You have to know what it teaches, what it says. So that way you can spot false teaching. So you can spot error. So that way you can spot the allurements that are trying to draw you away from following Christ. And if you want to see Jesus clearly, then you're going to have to remember that you are in Christ. You don't want to be blown off course. Now, notice this great phrase here that really shows us how much we belong to the family. I love this. This is one of Paul's favorite phrases, in Christ. Formerly, we were in Adam, but now we are in Christ. The new man, this refers to our secure position before God. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, that's found in Colossians 1.14. In Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, that's Colossians 2.3. In Christ we have been made complete, that's Colossians 2.10. And as Paul sums it up in Ephesians 1.3, in Christ God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We inherit everything we need for life and godliness in Christ. And you're in Christ if you're a member of God's family through faith in Christ. You are also secure in Him because He is at the right hand of the Father. Ephesians 1.21 says, Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. God has us secure in Christ. We should never worry about the fact of whether we are not secure in Christ because we are secure in Christ. We have been blessed by Christ in every spiritual blessing. And that's because we're part of his family. You know, I find it interesting sometimes when we talk about families and we talk about the things that we do as families. I'm sure there are certain things that you do 
as a family together, certain things that uh, you do as a family that no other family does, and those are blessings that come along with being part of your family. I mean, can you imagine if someone just showed up randomly at your door and they said, hi, I'm here to join your family? You'd be like, uh, I don't think so, right? Or let's just say you're at home and you're having your, your Thanksgiving uh, meal together and all of a sudden, hi, I'm here to have some candied yams. Can you put me a, a, a plate down and a spread? You'd be like, uh, I don't think we invited you, right? Everything would be very awkward. But because we know Christ, God is our Father, we're secure in Him, and we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We have that. And I believe this is what Paul's trying to remind them just in these very first few opening statements. Remember that you are in Christ. Thirdly, in Christ we have grace and peace. Notice what he says here. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. This is a form of a greeting, but it's more than just an empty phrase here. What is he trying to get across to them? It's a prayer that we as God's people would experience the riches of his grace and peace. Grace to you, peace to you. Let me ask you a question. Do you want God's grace? I do, because I know what I'm like without it. Do you want God's peace? I certainly do, because I know that in this world there is a false peace. And so this is a blessing, a prayer of blessing that he's praying over them to remind them, listen, grace and peace to you, it's been given to you. What is God's grace? It's His unmerited favor towards us in Christ. It means that He does not deal with us according to our sins. We are accepted in His presence, not because of our performance, but because He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1.4. God's grace is a motivating, liberating power that gives victory over sin and the desire to draw near to our loving Father. I would have to say that there's a lot of Christians, myself included, that many times we operate out of a spirit of performance for God. Meaning, we try to do certain things in order for God to love us more, to like us more, to bless us more, but do you know that God doesn't operate that way? He operates out of grace. It's unmerited favor. You can't earn it. And so God's grace has been lavishly poured upon us, as what uh, Ephesians chapter 1 teaches us. And He gives us grace without us trying to perform or trying to perfect or trying to be perfect. Because guess what? You can't be perfect, you're not perfect. That's why we need Jesus. Because what we cannot do, Jesus does. Jesus helps us. And he gives us the grace. What is God's peace? This word comes from the Hebrew word shalom and refers to a total well-being, both inward and outward. 
Through Christ we have peace with God, is what Romans 5.1 teaches us. He himself is the basis of our peace with one another, is what Ephesians 2.14 teaches us. And because our love, because our God is both, both sovereign and loving, we can have inward peace even during in the midst of trials. My heart breaks so many times when I see individuals who do not know Christ and they're going through a difficulty. They can't have the peace of God. They can't have peace during those difficult trials. Think of Paul here. Where was he at? He's in prison. He's writing about uh, some of the sufferings that he's sharing. And he's telling them, hey, peace, peace, peace. You can have peace in the midst of a very difficult and hard trial. God gives us that peace. He grants us that peace. And we have that peace in the trial knowing that he is working them together for good is what Romans 8.28 teaches us. So remember that you are in Christ. And here's the last thing. In Christ, I can minister where God has planted me. Notice what the scripture says here. Where was this church at? Colossae. They were in Christ, and God has planted this church. Now, Paul didn't plant this church. Epaphras did. And here they are in this area, and God wants to use them where they are. So here we are, believers in Christ. Where has God planted you at? Think with me just for a moment. Where do you live at? What neighborhood? Where do you work at? Where do you frequent at? Your stores that you go to, gas stations, restaurants, where people know you. God wants to use you being in Christ and to minister where you're at. All the things that you have in Christ, being a, a, a part of the family, having the spiritual blessings, God wants you to use all of that, knowing who you are in Christ, and minister to other people where He has planted you at. See, that's why I say, you know, when we come together as believers here, this is just not for us to come in and soak in all of this stuff and say, okay, see you next week. No. We are to be equipping you to do the work of the ministry. Remember, you're not a volunteer. God has called you to minister, to be a disciple maker, to go out into all the world and preach the good news. Wherever we're at, making disciples, helping people turn from unbelief to belief. And this is all part of what we do as believers in Christ and what we should be doing as believers in Christ. You know, there is no shortage of churches here in Middlebury or Goshen. We have somewhat of a church buffet, if you will. You can get anything you want. Anything. But is that what church is supposed to be about? We're supposed to be making disciples. We're supposed to be going into the world and teaching, and baptizing, and preaching. 
If others are going to see Jesus clearly, then we need to make sure that we are seeing him clearly. What is your purpose in God saving you and adding you to his church, the body of Christ? It should not just to be attend an event once a week. It should be to minister. It should be to be light, to proclaim the good news of Jesus to all those who will hear. You have co-workers, you have neighbors, you have friends, you have family that we, the elders of this church, will never reach. That's why God has planted you where you're at. Because you are in Christ and you are to be ministering where you are at. God has planted you in your neighborhood, in your workplace, and in your family to be light. And since you are in Christ, you are ministering to those where God has planted you. Are you? Are you doing that? I've said that we, the elders, are to be equipping you to do the work of the ministry, and we desire to do that. And in the coming weeks, we'll actually be giving you some things that I would hope will be very helpful to you to actually uh, do that. But I want to give you a little homework assignment. Ask this question as you pray over the next few weeks. And I think you can ask this question to God. And you can say, God, who can I minister to? You've put me in this place, in this neighborhood, in this family, wherever. Who can I minister to? Now that takes effort on your part. That means you have to know people. You have to need to know their names. You need to get to know them. That means you've got to kind of step out of the comfort zone a little bit. And maybe that might be just figuring out who your next door neighbor is, what their name is. Maybe that may, may mean when you go to that favorite restaurant that you always go to, that when you sit down, it's not just like, okay, I'll have the ham and eggs and toast, blah, blah, blah. No, it may mean that you need to have a little bit of a conversation with the individual that's taking your order, get to know who they are. This is what it's about, ministering to others because Christ has saved us. We are in the family of God, and we need to be ministering where Christ has planted us. And so I believe that if you pray, who can I minister? May the Holy Spirit, I believe, will impress upon your heart an individual that you can start praying for. I, that's all that I want you to do. Just ask, ask God, who should I be ministering to where you have planted me? And just start praying about that. And when the Holy Spirit gives you somebody, start then praying for that individual. And I think that would be a good thing. Let's pray together, will you? If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.